Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining me. Hope your weekend is going well. And uh, a lot to discuss today. We're going to begin with um, what is happening on the diplomatic front in Ukraine. And there are some interesting developments to discuss. And actually, I see David Sachs, who is the founder of Colonies, in the chat. And David, if you're, if you're listening and you're able, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this if you're um, able to jump into the queue. Because a lot of what is being reported right now speaks to stuff you've been speaking about very vocally over the last uh, uh, short while. So, um, but let me share my thoughts first. Oh, there you are, David. So great. I will jump in right now. Um, quickly. Hey, David. Hey, hey, Aaron. Well, I don't want to interrupt your your room here. You want to? You want to just do your? I'll do a quick. I'll do a quick rant. I'll do a quick rant, and then if you have time, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Sounds good. Okay. So, came down last night. It says U.S. privately asked Ukraine to show it's open to negotiate with Russia. And then this uh, subhead is the encouragement is aimed not at pushing Ukraine to the negotiating table, but ensuring it maintains a moral high ground in the eyes of its international backers. And what the story is basically reporting in The Washington Post is that the Biden administration is privately telling Ukraine to stop saying publicly that it won't negotiate with Russia because Ukraine's public stance is that it won't negotiate with Russia until Vladimir Putin is overthrown, which basically means no negotiations ever. So the White House, according to this article, is telling Ukraine basically to drop that. And the way the story is framed, um, it basically says that there's no real change in U.S. policy. They're not actually trying to get Ukraine to talk to Russia directly. They just want Ukraine to stop saying that they won't talk to Russia publicly because of the optics. They want to um, appeal to uh, populations in war uh, wary countries where they feel as if Ukraine's public stance is hurting support for Ukraine. So that's the message of the article. Now, uh, on the surface, that seems very plausible. We're talking about cynical politicians. Of course, they're going to try to uh, maximize their uh, public relations to make it look as if they're doing all they can to stop the war. Well, really in practice, they are feeling it. And that's been the U.S. policy from the start. Uh, we know before the war, uh, the U.S. didn't want to talk to Russia on any of its core demands, basically, when Russia issued some detailed proposals. And then after the war, there are multiple, there are multiple reports that there was a tentative outline for a peace deal reached between Ukraine and Russia, but Boris Johnson came over, presumably, with the backing of the U.S. and sabotaged it. So it would make perfect sense if the story is true that this is just a cynical ploy by the U.S. to uh, continue support for the Ukraine proxy war around the world. But I actually have my doubts, and maybe this is me just being optimistic, but if really the U.S. wasn't serious about getting Ukraine to negotiate and was in fact just telling Ukraine to uh, embrace negotiations just as a cynical public relations ploy, why would they go ahead and leak that? Because Russia obviously can read the newspaper and Russia will see that the Biden administration is telling Ukraine, yeah, even even as you um, embrace a diplomacy, actually, don't worry about it. It's it just for PR. And the other European states to whom this is you know, presumably intended to appeal to their populations, they can see this, too. So I wonder, I just have to wonder if actually this is a sign that actually there is fatigue inside the Biden administration with this war. And they are nudging. They actually, they actually are uh, nudging Ukraine finally towards talks. And uh, this isn't the first time I've wondered this. Just a few days ago, there was a report in the New York Times 
about how U.S. officials have picked up chatter among Russian officials of using nuclear weapons on the battlefield. And that, again, seemed to me like a uh, suspicious leak because you read the article, there's actually no evidence of anything happening, no evidence of Russia actually positioning its nuclear arsenal for any kind of use. I took that leak, and again, this was my interpretation, as U.S. officials trying to actually, um, you know, raise the alarm bells to such a level where they could justify engaging in diplomacy with Russia, because then they can now look and say, if they do engage in talks with Russia, they can point to that and say, well, look, you know, things are getting dangerous. Russia is thinking about using nuclear weapons. We have to talk to them. And then we have news just today in the Wall Street Journal, which says this, senior White House official involved in undisclosed talks with top Putin aides. And what the journal reports is that Jake Sullivan has had a number of discussions with Russian counterparts over the last several months. And the journal says that these talks were not about negotiating an end to the war, that they were just about de-escalation, which very well might be true. But I just suspect, you know, given that this war is not going as well for Ukraine as we're told in the West, given the dangers, given the damages it's doing to the economy, given Republicans seizing some political momentum and having some voices at least willing to be critical of the war, I suspect that um, there's more going on here than is being disclosed. And let me bring in David Sachs now to see um, what you make of all this. Yeah, I think that's an interesting theory. Um, I guess when I saw this news, I thought it was positive because just a week ago or so, uh, we were all being denounced as being Putin sympathizers and puppets for recommending the very same thing. So my first reaction is, wow, the, the administration is all of a sudden uh, they've 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 uh, joined the you know team Putin. Um, so obviously they haven't, but they're they've. I think whether it's a ploy or not, this leak now completely refutes the spin that was being used against the Progressive Caucus just, what is it, like a week or two ago uh, regarding yeah. that letter, that forced them to retract that letter, which was that the claim was that any negotiations whatsoever or any willingness to negotiate was inherently to take the Russian side because it meant compromises by Ukraine. So therefore, it was pro-Putin to, you know, endorse uh, a diplomatic track. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I think this news totally refutes that argument. Um, and it, even if it's a ploy, it implies that the moral high ground is now on the side of negotiations, uh, which, yep. you know, again, that's the total opposite of what we heard a couple of weeks ago. So I think it's welcome news. And, and like you said, it it's a lot like the... Uh, the uh, the leak that we just saw uh, a few days ago about um, you know the nuclear risk, you know again we were told for so many months that Putin was definitely bluffing, and then all of a sudden the administration says that he's not. Um, yeah, I mean same, same thing kind of happened with the with Biden's Armageddon comments. Um, so um, it's been help. I mean what what the administration has done recently has been helpful just to. Um, this is sort of correct some of the insane arguments that you see, uh, you know, uh, in the media and on Twitter uh, that uh, were, were the dominant narratives until the administration said otherwise. So, um, so it's positive. And, and, and you may be right about the motivation. I mean, the, the White House must be seeing polling numbers and getting worried about what's going to happen on Tuesday. 
Um, mm -hmm. They're also probably getting economic data. And, you know, my view on the economy is that's going off a cliff right now. So I just wonder if their willingness to kind of perpetuate this war forever, um, whether that, uh, I, I think you're right, the best theory on why they might not be willing to do that anymore is they're starting to think about 2024. Yep, yep, yep. And, and that's the problem. See, there's so much... Uh, evidence to go on that this is just a complete cynical ploy that's just purely rhetorical they're only trying to take away some of the anti-war sentiment that is now growing on the republican side it's totally plausible and they're totally capable of that but i just doubt i just for some reason the fact that they would leak this and then claim um like if they really were just doing this as a cynical ploy i don't think they they would leak the fact that it is a cynical ploy that's basically what the story yeah. is like you know um, yeah yeah right we're telling them to engage embrace talks but oh yeah but don't but we don't mean it i just don't see them doing that um i uh but again i could be uh, completely biased just by my hope that there actually is an effort for serious diplomacy i also have to say though the problem is now um i don't know if russia is interested in diplomacy at this point anymore i know putin recently said you know, that he's open to talks with Ukraine once the U.S. allows it, you know, continuing his theme that Ukraine is just a puppet. But then for Putin, from his point of view, he's just annexed all these territories. He's made all these claims about how he's not going to abandon these ethnic Russians in Ukraine. They're back home with Mother Russia. Um, so for him, is he going to be willing to negotiate all that away? Maybe, you know, it's worth it to him if he can get... Um, something else out of it, like an, an end to the sanctions and recognition of controlling Crimea. I mean, in fact, maybe that was his plan all along, for all I know. Uh, but um, I'm not sure exactly what even the Russian position is at this point, because they've they've gone very far, and they're in a point where certainly they're not going to um, back down on this war. But um, it's very interesting, and it's it, it's the first. Yeah, I just don't have quite a handle on what exactly um, the the aim is here. It, it really could go either way, but it does. I, I agree with you at minimum. The fact the Biden administration is publicly endorsing at least the idea of negotiations, whether it's cynically or not, shows that the momentum publicly is with people who've been calling for that all along. And uh, I think that even if it's done cynically, I, I do. I agree that that's a positive thing. Right. Right. No one can say anymore that if you support negotiations, you're pro-Putin. Because the yep. administration has now done that, you know, whether yep. cynically or not. So that means that the argument that was used against the Progressive Caucus last week and has been used against us for months, that has now been thrown out just, you know, overnight through this this story. So I think that's a very positive thing. I agree that the the whole that the fact that the ploy was specified in the story is very curious. It is strange. Um because a ploy doesn't like a PR ploy doesn't work if you acknowledge it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. so it's a weird spin to engage in. And and by the way, since when does the administration care about what the global South thinks? You know, the, yes. the, the rationale doesn't really make a lot of sense. Well, we have to keep the global South on board. That's why we need to pay lip service to diplomacy. Mm -hmm. So it is very strange. Um, but may, may, maybe they, you know, maybe the theory is it's 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 a it's a double ploy. I mean, the ploy is the ploy, and they want to start nudging the Ukrainians towards some sort of diplomatic settlement because they're worried about twenty twenty four and they're worried about the economy going off a cliff. And so, 
you know, this thing about, well, the, this ploy comment is maybe just um, some sugar to help the medicine go down. Would you say it, it, it's fair to say that the sanctions on Russia have not worked as intended, that the, the, the plan was to crush Russia's economy, but this, that hasn't gone the way they anticipated inside the White House? Certainly seems that way. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how damaged the Russian economy is, but it, it doesn't seem they certainly haven't collapsed it, which was their objective. Um, and, and fact, you know, we, we, we may well have collapsed our own economy, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. At, well, especially Europe. So, I mean, the winter hasn't even really started yet. And so um, but the economic data is just terrible right now. I mean, I, I mean, Silicon Valley and the the mass layoffs have started. And I feel like tech is always a canary in the coal mine. It's, it's so sensitive to economic changes and it reacts first. It's in, kind mm. of an early adopter in every way. And you're now seeing there was a there was, there's an announcement today about Facebook doing mass layoffs. Um, obviously, Elon had to do mass layoffs. Apple had a there was a leaked story about how they've frozen hiring or headcount in their non-engineering department. That's the most you know, Apple is the most profitable, valuable company in the world. Um, so, I mean, I can just tell you, you know, and then in the board meetings that I'm in, everybody's missing their numbers. Everyone's reforecasting down. It just, it feels like we're now moving into the part of the recession where, you know, joblessness starts to stack up, where you start to see real layoffs. Um, I have to believe the White House can see this data, and I'm sure they're seeing polling data. So if they don't want you know, 2023 just to be a total disaster um, and going into 2024, you would think that they would have to make changes. But I don't know, this this is what I would do if I were them. You know, I'd be trying to figure out a way to settle this war so that the economy can recover before, you know, before 2024. But I, I don't know if they're thinking this way about it. If they are, it would be certainly a new way for them to be thinking about it because this administration has been incredibly stubborn on, um you know, on, on Russia and Ukraine. Yep. David, if I can ask you a Twitter question, and I understand if you can't answer, so I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but, uh, but let me ask it. Um, we just found out about all these layoffs at Twitter. And in the process, I learned about all these divisions that I didn't know existed, like people cracking down on misinformation and, and people uh, in the human rights unit. And, you know, given that we just got this news recently from The Intercept about the DHS basically um, having a secret channel with Facebook and other tech giants, essentially trying to police what they call misinformation. Is it possible that, you know, with Elon Musk taking over Twitter, that we will find out more publicly about um, any kind of um, government uh, involvement in, in, in moderating and in managing what goes on Twitter in the same way that we found out about the Hunter Biden laptop story? I just don't know. I really don't know. Um, I, I haven't looked at that. I saw the intercept, intercept story, but I haven't looked at, you know, how it relates to what, what's happening at Twitter. I mean, Elon has said that he hasn't had a chance to look at content moderation yet. Um, he hasn't yeah. changed any of the policies. There's a lot of people shrieking about that as if he has made changes, he has not made any changes to content moderation. It's going to take him time to get his arms wrapped around that. So, um, so I, I just don't know. I actually just don't know the answer to your question. Fair enough. I just I was just shocked to learn about all these units of Twitter that I didn't know existed. <laughs> and, uh, and, and <laughs> Me <now> either. Yeah. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> all right, David. Listen, thanks so much uh, for uh, sharing your thoughts with us. And this is going to be a really 
interesting time, uh, especially as you say, as we head into winter. I'm in Portugal right now, where you know it's it's warm here, and it's it's unseasonably warm across Europe um, right now, as far as I understand. But obviously, that's going to change. And even if you know countries like Germany have enough to survive this winter, over the long term, this is just not sustainable. They'll need a different source of energy if they're going to have a permanent breach with Russia and. I, you know, I don't understand where it comes from and, and um, I don't see how prolonging this war is in anybody's interest. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the, um, just the economy is really shaky right now. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens over the next few months. All right, Aaron, really appreciate your show. I'll uh, take off now and just listen in. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Who has a show here on Colin and is the founder of Colin. And uh, so thank you, David, for uh, for calling in. Um, and if you if you follow David on Twitter, you'll see he's been, um, you know, he, his experience is a microcosm of the atmosphere we're in, where anybody who advocates just for diplomacy uh, with Russia and the consideration of ending this war gets viciously attacked. And um, the parade of, you know, neocons and others who have gone after him on Twitter. It's just, it's, it's very long. It's very, very long. And I've, you know, I've experienced my own version of that. Uh, and speaking of which, uh, I'm in Portugal right now where uh, I was uh, supposed to, I was invited here along with Max Blumenthal of the Gray Zone to speak at this conference called the Web Summit, which is a major tech media conference. And it's the sister conference to this uh, gathering called Collision, which occurred a few months ago in Toronto where Max and I spoke at. So we were invited back to speak. And uh, a few days before, I guess, we were supposed to come, uh, we got canceled. Uh, and the announcement was that, you know, Web Summit said that they had heard from their their audience and people were upset about our views on Ukraine, so they canceled us. I never bought that story because, you know, people tried to cancel me before. Like the last time I spoke at Collision, the earlier conference in Toronto, People from, you know, NATO state funded outfits like the Atlantic Council and Bellingcat, they all complained and accused me of, you know, the usual name calling. And But that didn't work. But this time it did. So I suspected there was something, uh, you know, more um, that there was somebody more powerful who intervened this time uh, to get us canceled. And it turns out it was none other than the first lady of Ukraine, uh, Zelensky's wife, uh, uh, whose last name is Zelenska. Uh, we heard this from, we got this confirmed from multiple sources who are close to the uh, CEO of Web Summit. His name is Patty Cosgrave. And uh, and also, you know, was told directly to us and it was leaked into the media this week. It was reported in the Irish Times and other places that Olena Zelenska, as a condition of her making a surprise appearance at Web Summit this week, demanded that we be canceled. She also demanded that they that they cancel Noam Chomsky, uh, but uh, I think the bargain was that they basically traded us for Chomsky, so they can keep Chomsky but cancel me and Max. So that was that. And uh, but you know I planned to come here anyway to Portugal, and I wasn't going to cancel my trip. I, I, so I came here, and um, but uh, without a chance to speak at this conference. And you know what can I say about that? I think it's sad that um, well, first of all. You know, I find the Zelensky story sad to begin with because I, I've written about this. Zelensky was elected on a campaign of peace, 70% of the electorate on a promise that he was going to do two things. One, take on corrupt, corruption, 
And two, he was going to finally make peace in the Donbass. He was going to end the civil war uh, with Russian-backed rebels and bring peace to Ukraine. And there was a lot of hope in Ukraine when he won in 2019. Um, large percentages of people who voted for him were in the east of the country, where, uh, you know, which has been under uh, uh, a siege in the civil war between the U.S.-backed Ukraine government and the Russian-backed rebels of the Donbass. And people there voted in large numbers for Zelensky because he was going to end that war finally. And what happened when he tried to make peace, when he tried to take some steps towards, for example, implementing the Minsk Accords, which was the agreement that all sides reached to end that war, groups like the Azov Battalion refused to uh, follow his orders to pull back from the Donbass. And uh, far-right groups threatened to kill him. And because he had no support from the U.S. government, because Trump, meanwhile, was being impeached because he briefly paused some weapons to Ukraine for that fight against the rebels, uh, he was left alone and left hanging. And now he's in a situation where essentially he's been pushed into this war and he's, I think, continuing to capitulate to the far right of Ukraine, who don't want to have any kind of peace agreement with the rebels because they don't want to recognize the ethnic Russian component of Ukraine. That's what I think it comes down to there. So now Zelensky's wife um, is feels compelled to demand that people like me not be allowed to speak when I'm someone who actually feels a lot of sympathy with them uh, for the predicament that they've been put in by being, I think, abandoned by the U.S. and um, intimidated by the far right of Ukraine, who've, who've literally threatened to kill Zelensky, uh, even right up, right up to before Russia's invasion. And I've written about this, you know, he was threatened with coups if he signed a deal with Russia. So there's something sad to me about all this. And, you know, I can handle being canceled, not speaking at a conference. It's okay. It's, it's not, you know, I, I'm not a victim. But I did just think it was sad that um, the Zelensky's office felt compelled to silence two journalists who, who challenged you know, narratives around the proxy war and, um, you know, but that's where we're at. So anyway, that's the story there. Uh, and it was just interesting to learn about the details, um, about how the, you know, basically there was a threat to the conference that if you allow these people to speak, then we can make your life difficult. (laughs) That's, that, that's what was communicated. And, uh, you know, this, this is a massive tech media conference, tens of thousands of people, and, you know, they're not going to risk it all. They're not going to risk a major sabotage effort and controversy uh, over two fringe, re- you know, relatively fringe left-wing journalists, uh, you know, like me and Max Lowenthal. So that's what it was. Uh, but hopefully uh, this climate doesn't endure and I'll have a chance to speak at something like this again, because the last time we spoke at the other early conference, it was a great time. And I think we uh, made an impact and certainly got some buzz for what we said. Uh, and all right, well, you know what, let's take some more calls. I have a new article up on the whole progressive, uh, progressive caucus letter debacle, but I don't need to review that because we've talked about that already at length and I'm sure we'll talk about it more today. Okay. Let's take some calls. Hi, Aaron. So are you, are you crashing this conference? Well, the conference is over and no, I I did not crash it. Uh, that's not my style. Uh, if I'm not invited, I'm not invited, then I'm not invited. Pictures. You should have <laughs> at least gone and heckled uh, Madam Zelenskaya. <laughs> that's, you know, that's too yeah. funny. Well, yeah. I'm, no, I'm I, sure I, Portugal I is worth, worth visiting anyway, but geez. <laughs> it is a beautiful uh, uh, city. Uh, 
I've been in Lisbon and I've been walking around and it's a beautiful city. And, uh, you know, it's the thing where I, like, I planned this trip to Europe around this conference. So I wasn't going to cancel it. So I just had to make the most out of my week here, but there, there was luckily plenty to do in Lisbon, even if I can't attend a conference. When life handed you lemons, you made lemonade. Bless That's your heart. Right. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm your Nebraska correspondent. So I, I, I do need to just touch minor base here about uh, po- about domestic politics, although my real focus lately is paying attention to what's going on in Ukraine, since I live in what's known as the ICBM sponge area, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a little concerned about thermonuclear holocaust. Fair enough, yeah. Given where I'm located. Uh, but t- two interesting domestic politics stories um, there's governor's race here. Uh, they released some uh, financial figures um, this past week. The Democrat had spent or has on hand or whatever, about $600,000. The Republican is like five or six times that amount. And what's amazing to me is, you know, this is Nebraska. Why, why do they need to pour so much money into the governor's race? I mean, I, you know, I, I certainly would prefer if the Democrat would win. Uh, I'm not, I don't do nationwide Democrats uh, like president. I haven't for three presidential elections anyway. But, uh, you know, in this state, the Democrat would definitely be a better choice than the Republican, and I'm just I'm flabbergasted at that difference in in money. And sec- secondarily, there's a county attorney race in Lancaster County, which is where Lincoln, the state capital, is located. Now, Lincoln is not the largest city in Nebraska; that's Omaha. So, this is not the largest city in Nebraska. It's not the largest county by population in Nebraska. County attorney race again, Democrat running. I'm familiar with him from the Unicam role here. Uh, I can't vote in there because it's you know not my county, but uh, he had he reported three hundred thousand dollars worth of negative attack ads against him in one week for a county attorney race in Nebraska, and again. I, I don't know who Lincoln is more closer to being purples, sometimes blue, that area, just just because. And so, you know, maybe maybe the Republicans are worried that he's actually going to win. Uh, and that's why they're throwing all this money at it. But it it's it just seems it just seems really bizarre. That's a lot me. of money. That's a lot that, of money for a time. Right? That's a lot that's of money. money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and my uh, unicameral district here, uh, we, we are picking a new person this year. So I did a little digging uh, of the two people who were on the ballot. And um, one of them is getting, a, a getting um, sent out a fancy flyer, you know, door hanger, that, that kind of thing. And that always costs some money. And I wish I could remember now because I threw it away. Uh, but it's it's one of these, it's not the club for growth, but it's something that's almost like that. 
and it's, and it says, you know, paid for by blah, 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 Lincoln, Nebraska. But of course it's a national organization. They're, you know, they're in, they're in DC. They're one of those big bucks, conservative 5013C, whatever. I don't know if, I'm not even saying it's dark money, but it's definitely big money, big conservative money. And that's for one of about, you know, I, I don't even know how many seats in the unicameral are, are up for, well, I guess, no. Yeah, I, well, I'm not even sure how many is, are, it's a are really, up. The point is it's a really expensive uh, midterm and the amount of money being spent on all these races is is unbelievable. It's it's crazy. So, uh, Rena, thank you for the snapshot from uh, from Nebraska. Yes, and uh, your your reputation apparently. Pre- oh, sorry, I sorry, Rena, I I skipped you there. Okay, Andrew, go ahead. Hi, hi, Aaron. Can you hear me? All right. Hi. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, great. Uh, really quickly on the apparent ploy that is being discussed in the open. I think that the actual reality here may be that the U.S. is uh, internally starting to acclimate the idea that Ukraine may have to negotiate and give up significant territory, which would be seen as a loss for them, and they want to start introducing this idea. And the ploy is actually that they're doing it for PR reasons, when in reality they're going to have to, they're going to, have to come to the terms that Ukraine is losing, and I think it's going to start losing harder soon. And that's just my opinion based on the dwindling Western aid, which is a verifiable fact. They're sending the bottom of the barrel now. They're literally sending out their oldest stuff that they have to renovate and repair. I mean, there's running out of that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. And then the Russia region is reinforced. So if this Kherson offensive doesn't happen or doesn't go well or whatever happens, I just think it's not going to get better for Ukraine. So uh, well, I'll, yeah. I'll shut up. No, 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 no. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, again, um, Ukraine definitely did better militarily than you know, at least I expected. So, you know, people who started saying that Ukraine could win the war, especially after Ukraine made some gains, it seemed at least um, debatable. But again, the you know, the same reality has always existed that Russia is just so. Uh, has so much deeper military supremacy um, and is right there. And so it's right there on its border. So it's so much easier for Russia to wage this war than it is for, you know, NATO to supply Ukraine, especially as you say, as the um, weapon stocks of all these countries have been declining. And, you and know, there's been talk about, point. there's been talk about building new, there's been talk about building new missiles. I think it was HIMARS, one of those missile systems, but it was acknowledged it would take years to make, to make them. So it's just a question of, of capacity. And um, and we can't give them the yeah. Western stuff because they're not trained on it. So the stuff that we make, we don't make Soviet stuff. We can't supply right. them with what they need with our industrial capacity when it comes right. to tanks and things like this. So the thing I wanted to talk about that's topical is I actually have a suggestion for you for Republicans suck that I'd like you to consider. Um, I think it's a good one. Don Bolduc in the New Hampshire race for Senate running against Maggie Hassan. Um, yeah. He got protested at one of the debates by the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire. Did you see this? Were you aware of this? No, I didn't see it. I'll be quick. The story is the LPNH basically got disallowed from the debate due to arbitrary standards. You know how it goes. They raised the polling or whatever, even though they're candidates on the ballot. So they went to protest the debate. They protested both Hassan and 
Boldick, but at the Boldick uh, protest, um, Boldick actually was running around in front of his supporters and ran up, and one of the protesters ran up to him, but uh, clearly was not touching him, had his camera in one hand and his other arm behind him. And Boldick elbowed him and then started screaming about, he hit me, he hit me, and had the cops arrest him. And then the guy ended up only getting arrested for trespassing and disorderly conduct, not for assault. And it's actually clear on video from multiple angles. And I'll post links in the chat to the videos that this guy didn't get touched. Boldick didn't get touched. In fact, he leaned his elbow out and then backed off like he got hurt while Boldick's supporters uh, assaulted the protester. And the thing is, Boldick's a retired Brigadier General. This guy's a complete disgrace, a coward, uh, disgusting. He's trying to cheat. It's like in a game, he's trying to get away with a little something. And uh, the the media ran with it and said that he was assaulted. Maggie Hassan, he said he was punched. He said that someone tried to punch him. And then Maggie Hassan came out and condemned violence against politicians because she got to panic about, you know, politicians being assaulted like Democrats enjoy doing and uh, the media ran with it and then they had to back off when it became clear that it was just claims of an assault but like often happens a local news report puts something out and then all these other idiotic news companies just retweet and basically just copy the homework of uh, a local news outlet without doing any research when you could just google the event or YouTube it I could drop the links they're there all you have to do is put in some key search terms into YouTube. You can find these videos. So apparently that's beyond the capabilities of the entire news media. But actually, it's they just don't want to. So anyway, okay. I think we should thank right. the libertarians and consider Don Boldick for our Republican suck. And I'll drop the links now. Thanks for your time, Aaron. Okay. Thanks for the call. All right. Uh, Sam. Hi, Aaron. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I just wanted just to give my opinion on uh, the, the last news uh, about the uh, you know diplomacy and negotiations, etc. I think a lot of uh, a lot of people view the U.S. Uh, foreign policy from like a logical or a positive lens, or you know, obviously diplomacy should be the first priority, but. Uh, uh, I think, in my opinion, there is another aspect. Um, which is the economy, uh, I think the U.S. did achieve some objectives, which is to literally destroy the European economy. What's happening, obviously, the economy of the U.S. is, is taking a hit, but uh, in comparison to anywhere else, it's it's not even close. Obviously, you know, Europe, uh, Southeast Asia, but especially Europe, it's literally obliterated, uh, and you you can see right now even with tightening uh, financial markets, higher interest rates, there's still the 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 job market in the U.S. is still actually growing. So it's, it's moving in the opposite direction, which I think it's it's by design. Uh, obviously, they created an energy uh, crisis in Europe, um, which will obviously force a lot of the investors in the UK and Europe. A lot of the companies are actually moving back to the US. Um, if you look at uh, Southeast Asia, if you look at even in, in the Chinese financial markets, almost all of the gains since 08 are literally wiped out. So um, I think the uh, the news could be true and not a simple ploy. Um, because I think it's very advantageous 
to the U.S. to, uh, you know, pedal down and uh, start the negotiations from economically, I think they're in much better position to recover than uh, anywhere else, you know, especially uh, in Europe and Southeast Asia. Um, I don't know what's your opinion on that. I don't know if you have any input on uh, if, if yeah. it's all about this issue. From the well, certainly, I totally agree with you that um, weakening Europe's economy has been a benefit for the U.S., if not a goal of this whole thing. Because look at Germany, you know, um, you know, powered by cheap Russia gas. Uh, I look at it now. It's had entire factories close, uh, you know, major industrial producers warning about a winter of deindustrialization. That was a quote from, I think, the head of the Aluminum Association or Steel Association inside of Germany. And, you know, Germany is the economic center of Europe. And so if you're a U.S. planner and you want to subjugate Europe, you want to increase European dependence on the U.S., this has been wonderful for you. And um, I don't know if that was a goal of U.S. planners in this whole crisis, but I certainly think that uh, it's been a result. And, of course, there was the sabotage of Nord Stream 2, which, of course, we don't talk about anymore because we don't want to know. <laughs> we don't want to look into who actually did it. Um, but so, yes, you know, and that is a, you know, a huge act of, sabotage of the German economy and, and, and Europe more broadly that will only, I think, hurt Europe, but it will benefit the U.S. because, and I don't even know if it's technically possible for Europe to, you know, import more liquefied natural gas than it already is, but certainly I know that U.S. planners have wanted to do that, so, you know, all this has helped them, and, you know, and there's that old saying about NATO, like the, like the point of NATO, it's to keep Russia out, uh, the U.S. on top and Germany down, right? I, I think I have that correct. And certainly that has played out beautifully for the U.S. Uh, in, in this whole Ukraine mess. Yeah. And, and one last thing about uh, like the whole, I mean, obviously, I mean, we think about when we say, oh, yeah, I mean, some people say Ukraine is going to win or you know, they're going to force the Russians out, etc. I mean, I don't know if these people are really serious when they say that, if they really believe it. I really doubt it. If anyone has, you know, just, just some basic ge geopolitical knowledge, the situation in Russia is different. I mean, here, let's say if you have a president, he's not doing well, he's going into a stupid war, you vote him out, you know, the next guy comes in. I mean, everyone knows that's not the situation in Russia. Putin is not going to go away, and he has nuclear weapons. So losing on the battle is not an option. I mean, he's not going to yep. go and just, you know, like, you know, I mean, obviously he, he's not going to, he can't retire and just, uh, you know, give it to the next guy, etc. So there is no, obviously, winning, and he's not going to go without, you know, saving face basically so he he's gonna have the upper hand regardless which proves that you know the point of all of this is just to have just to create a long-lasting disturbance in the energy markets because it, it doesn't only it affects europe number one and it affects everywhere else i mean if you look at uh, you know uh, uh, Pakistan, even China, obviously they rely on uh, on you know uh, Russian oil in general. Um, so I don't know if if it's the if if it's all about just creating this situation to kind of like a reset 
for the whole world economy. It just created long-lasting disturbance, which will obviously benefit the U.S. And about the LNG, I mean, they can rely on it, but it's much more expensive. And yeah, so it's, it's not going to give them any more advantages going forward. And I, you know, what the Biden administration wasn't counting on when they planned all this or when they, when they mapped this out, the, you know, their, their plan for this proxy war and how they were going to hurt Russia's economy, because that was, you know, thought out. They had plans in place to basically destroy Russia's economy uh, well before Russia invaded. Um, I don't think they counted on Saudi Arabia kind of uh, um, sweeping, yeah. sweeping the rug from under their feet by actually colluding with Russia in keeping uh, prices for oil at a certain level. So that's been um, that's thrown a uh, a curveball into their plans. Yeah, exactly. So we're gonna send them democracy you now, definitely. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for the call. Okay, Pedro. Hi, hi, Aaron. Uh, so th this is a bit off topic, but uh, since you mentioned you are in Portugal and uh, that happens to be my home country, I would like to talk just a little bit about that and uh, ask you some questions. But first, uh, since David Sachs was the first caller, uh, he's on, he's on the, the listeners, I just would like to comment a bit on the Get Calling app if I may. Uh, so I happen to be a software engineer and from my, and this is exactly my work, I do internet applications. So I just have to say that Get Call In is a real uh, well-made in uh, as from a software point of view. Uh, also, not only that, but it allows uh, people to, all of us to communicate with, uh, with quote, famous people that are on the news. Uh, so this uh, is in uh, regard to, a, to a, a tweet that uh, Aaron made today uh, regarding some article on the New York Times about Russian bots influencing the election. And there was a person from a Finnish institute, I think is a, well, is a previous NATO official, that uh, started uh, harassing him and accusing him of, quote, being activated by the Kremlin. So, <laughs> Let me just explain this, Pedro. Let me just yeah. explain this. So, so this is a headline in today's New York Times. I, 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 I can't believe they're still doing this, okay? Uh, the headline in the Times is, Russia reactivates its trolls and bots ahead of Tuesday's midterms. You know, honestly, this story's so funny. I'm going to have to do a, a calling on it later this week just to talk about it because it's so hilarious. And there have been other attempts to revive Russiagate recently in the Times um, that I'm going to have to uh, I'm going to have to make fun of because they're hilarious. And so this story is basically about, it says, researchers have identified a series of Russian information operations to influence American elections and perhaps erode support for Ukraine. Yes, uh, Russian bots, alleged Russian bots, have the power to erode support for Ukraine. It's not as if anybody else is questioning, including, you know, a major faction of the Republican Party and millions of people across the U.S. It's really all the work of Russian bots. And this is the example that they give. Um, so they talk about some uh, account on the app Gab, right, which is a social media site. And um, they say... <laughs> Uh, 
uh, they say, uh, so there's some account with 8,000 followers, they say, and they claim it's Russian. Okay, I have no idea if that's true, but let's assume it is. Okay, And this is how they describe it. The account with more than 8,000 followers on Gab posts exclusively on political issues, not just in one state, but across the country, and often spreads false or misleading posts. Most have, most have little engagement, but a recent post about the FBI received 43 responses and 11 replies and was reposted 64 times. Okay, That's the main example in this Times article. Uh, some random account on Gab that got 11 replies and was shared 64 times. And that is for some reason worthy of a New York Times front page article about Russian trolls being reactivated. And, you know, this is the exact same thing. We saw this in... 2018, around the midterms, when uh, it, go back and, and read it. In the New York Times, you could read Dan Coates, who was then the head of the um, Department of National Intelligence. He said that the warning lights are, brink, are blinking red, as he was fear-mongering about this, you know, uh, Russian interference in, in the 2018 midterms, which of course didn't happen. Um, and, uh, and of course, in 2020, there was the fear-mongering about Russian interference, which turned out to be a complete fabrication in claiming that Russia was promoting or fabricating Hunter Biden's laptop. So really, the only interference here is Russiagate interference in fear-mongering about Russian trolls brainwashing Americans simply because right now we're about to have an election where Democrats will lose. And their playbook since 2016 has been, instead of doing honest introspection about what they can do to win over voters, it's been to blame mythical, I think, Russian interference. Because I don't think this Russian troll farm with its stupid memes that nobody sees uh, or reads has the power to influence even a single voter. But uh, it's amazing that this campaign endures. So anyway, Petra, sorry, that's a long interruption. But but uh, anyway, so somebody who used to work for NATO uh, accused me of being activated by Russia because I made fun of that article today on Twitter, right? That's what you're talking about? Yes, 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 exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. Re- regarding the, the Russiagate thing, it's true that... Uh, that was on the report of the that prosecutor forgot his name, the ex FBI director forgot his name now. But uh, th- that may well be the Russian government trying to influence something. I don't know. We cannot prove that. But uh, m- most if of these bots. If it is, I mean, look, look. If it is the Russian government, the Russian government should be should be humiliated at such a feeble attempt to influence people with these dumb memes about Yosemite Sam and Jesus and Buff Bernie. I mean, if that's the Russian government attempt to influence the election, then it's pitiful. Then we should laugh yes. at them. Um, now, the only question is whether Russia actually stole the emails in 2016 and released those to hurt Hillary. That did have an impact on the election, I think. I don't think it decided it, but I think, you know, I'm sure some voters were swayed by, you know, learning about the contents of those emails. Now, personally, the claim that Russia did it is, to me, um, sketchy, and that's me being generous. I think it's been undermined by all the evidence that's come out, but it's you know it's possible that Russia did it. I'm, I'm, I mean, if I were to bet, I don't think Russia did. I think in all of Russiagate was a scam, but at least we can say we don't know for sure actually who, who did it. So it's possible that it was Russia. But um, the uh, anyway, so, sorry, sorry, anyway, yeah, that, yeah, no that's my interruption. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no problem for. Interrupting, interrupt any time. But I, I was just going to say that uh, th- these bots online sometimes they are just made for purely financial to, to gain money. You know, and anybody yes. can go online and put some memes. Uh, it's just yes. for money. And actually, the the Senate investigation 
they did uh, they concluded it was about fifty thousand invested fifty thousand dollars so uh, so I don't know but uh, uh, my main I forgot, oh, my main topic was Portugal I want to talk about a little bit about Portugal since you are in Portugal uh, oh uh, also uh, I, I just want to quickly comment uh, regarding that harassment uh, campaign that they are doing against you they are also doing against other people that merely dare to ask questions like Brianna Joy Gray oh sure know. yeah 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 Brie yeah. Brie's an interesting case where Brie hasn't even taken a position on on Ukraine she's not taking ever you know all she's trying to do is discuss the issue and ask people critical questions like Joe Serencione, who's a veteran think tank guy in Washington, who she had on. And he didn't like that she was subjecting him to critical questions. So he lashed out at her and accused her of weaponizing the interview because she posted clips from it on Twitter and said nobody should ever go on her show again, which I thought was just so juvenile. Um, and uh, But not surprising, given that in the same interview, he accused me and Max Blumenthal of being in the in the pay of Putin, as he said. So, I mean, these are, this is just the, 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 the level of discussion around anything to do with Russia is just infantile and people, you know, grown adults who've spent their lives, I think in noble causes like Joe Serenciani, he's done some good work on nuclear proliferation, completely, um, I think, um, disgracing themselves by engaging in this kind of McCarthy behavior. But that's just me. Yes, yes, you are right. I actually had a had a, had a call Brianna last last week to talk. I talked to her about that, and uh, we talked about that person. It, it, it was a policy advisor of Bernie Sanders. That's right. Uh, yeah. And uh, I actually talked with her, and I mentioned that uh, he, he didn't seem to understand the the history of the conflict because. When Brianna uh, t mentioned there is a civil war, he even didn't know there was a civil war. That yeah, of course started. not. Of, of course not. Of course not. That's because um, there's a veto in the U.S. media on relevant history. So you can't talk about what happened in 2014, whether you want to call it a coup or not. I think it's pretty blatant it was a coup, but whatever. It was called an uprising. You can't talk about the Minsk Accords, which were supposed to end the war that broke out as a result of the coup in 2014. Uh, but which Ukraine refused to implement, or at least uh, only partially implemented. Uh, and you can't talk about all that. You, you can't talk about um, the, the Odessa massacre, where dozens of people who opposed the coup were burned alive, and the, and the new Ukrainian government that the U.S. helped install basically tolerated stuff like that. Um, you can't talk about that. It's uh, And so I'm not surprised that someone like Joe Serencioni wouldn't be aware of it, because there's no media to report on it anymore. I mean, in the same way that you can't, call Azov uh, neo-Nazi anymore. Uh, in, the, in the New York Times, you can call them neo-Nazi for up until the Russian invasion. But now after the Russian invasion, now they're just the celebrated Azov battalion. So we're in this Aurelian world, but that's what happens when, in a time of war. And Pedro, we'll have to discuss Portugal next time. Thank you for the call. Okay, okay. Thanks. Uh, okay, Heidi. Hi. Um, first, I want to say, as much as I personally dislike Zelensky and, you know, that. I don't want to say his wife because I don't know anything about her. Um, I think it shows a lot of character on your part to take the stance that you do on her opposing uh, you speaking at this conference. I, I think that says a lot about you as a person, and uh, I applaud you for it. Um, 
<clears throat> and my question on the whole why why diplomacy now do you think it might have anything to do with the uh, diesel shortage in the u.s like i mean it's it's hitting home now and i realize that you know we have strategic reserves and whatever and it's probably not going to have hopefully you know not going to have a huge impact on us but because of the whole thing with saudi arabia and you know the um i don't know you know biden's complete uh uh, what's the word for it? Incompetence on, you know, like uh, making things work. Um, do you think that might have something to do with why they want to kind of seed the narrative now? I hadn't thought of the, of the diesel angle. Um, I hadn't thought of that. So it, it could be. I don't know. I certainly think, as we talked about before, this war is causing havoc. The U.S., even though it's you know relatively insulated from the worst of it, is still being impacted. And you know, it makes sense when you have Russia like like whatever you think of Russia, it's such a big country. It's huge, <laughs> and it plays such a you know it plays an important role in the world economy, and it's especially a huge player on something really important, which is energy. You know, and so the idea that you can wage this war this proxy war, trying to weaken it and also trying to destroy its economy and not have consequences everywhere, including in the U.S., despite being so far away and so powerful, is, uh, I think, a, um, a fool's errand. And uh, it looks to me, again, you know, my hunch is that there's a recognition of that now. Um, would Jake Sullivan just be speaking to Russian counterparts just about nuclear threats? I don't know. I doubt it. And by the way, I think it's interesting that it's Jake Sullivan doing that. I've heard rumors from people I know on Capitol Hill, that Jake Sullivan is the um, is the most sane of that of that crowd, the least ideological. Certainly, way less of an ideologue than than Anthony Blinken. I have no idea if that's true, but if it is true, then the fact that he's speaking to Russian counterparts and not Blinken, who is supposed to be the U.S.'s top diplomat, but doesn't seem to be do, do ever do anything about any diplomacy. Uh, all that to me is a sign that there's more going on behind the scenes than, than we've been told. Yeah, that's my impression too, exactly. Thanks for taking my question. Thank you. Now, of course, you know, I could um, eat my own words next week when we're in the midst of nuclear war, and in which case I'll apologize. For the <laughs> if that's the situation, we'll, we'll, have, we'll have bigger things to worry about than me getting this wrong. Okay. Uh, thanks, Heidi, for the call. Jonathan. So I only recently uh, first encountered this uh, Ukrainian dog emoji uh, troll army on Twitter. Uh, they are extremely heavy-handed, and uh, there's a lot of them, but they're not terribly sophisticated. But I, I do think you've been kind of calling out the McCarthyite tactics and the you know the like the very heavy-handed attempts they've made to either deplatform or ostracize anybody who even brings up uh, a question about the official narrative. And firstly, I wanted to pay you a compliment for, uh, you know, standing firm uh, in that onslaught and continuing to piss them off. And uh, secondly, ask you how long you've been dealing with this and, and uh, whether you managed to recover your Wikipedia page. Uh I, you know, I, I really started experiencing this uh, when I got involved with Russiagate, where um, 
just for challenging the notion that the president was a Russian asset being compromised by compromat, including a P tape and uh, challenging the notion that the rest of his campaign were caught up in the sprawling conspiracy with the Kremlin, which, you know, some of my colleagues and media friends and, 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 um, and others were just so invested in believing, uh, you know, I, I started experiencing it then. And I realized, you know, with that experience that if I can get attacked so viciously, just because I don't go along with something so stupid, like literally the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life, which is like this procession of grown adults, paid media professionals, people who went to journalism school, you know, well-educated, you know, Ivy League schools, all being duped by this giant disinformation campaign called Russiagate. And I realized that if I'm going to get attacked for that, then, you know, I'm going to get attacked for many things. And, uh, you know, I've chosen to engage in issues that don't win you very many friends, like, for example, Syria and chemical weapons. Getting into that whole thing, too, is... You know, is one be some enemies as well as well. But um, you know, I um, my personal motto is that the hate is great. I <laughs> that's what I tell myself. The hate is great. It really is. It, to me, it's again uh, when you're not being challenged on the substance and you're just being called names. It's a sign, I think, that you're doing something effective. And um, you know, if you look at all the issues that I'm attacked on, Ukraine, uh, Russia Gate, the Syria dirty war, try to find one article where someone takes what I say and then tries to present an argument rebutting me. That's what intellectually serious people do. But they don't do that. There's nothing. So all they can do is call me names and uh, deface my Wikipedia page. But last time I checked on Wikipedia, actually some, some really noble people, who, whoever they are, uh, if they happen to be listening to this, I really appreciate, have actually undone some of the smears. Like they, you know, it said, like, like the, someone changed my description to conspiracy theorists, but I saw that somebody undid that. So thanks to whoever's doing that. But I also, it's kind of a lost, like Wikipedia is kind of a lost cause. Like there are people who are dedicated to basically uh, like defamatory claims. There's, there's some accounts that you can look at their user history and they're on like 18 hours a day, just editing the accounts of like people who are, even vaguely anti-war as I guess. Yeah. Didn't you and Max do a story on that a couple of years ago? I didn't. I didn't. But the gray zone did. And there's, uh, you know, it's all about like Jimmy Wales, who's the, who's the founder of Wikipedia, has ties to, I think, British intelligence. I don't know. It, you know, look, it's just to me, it's just kind of it's going to come with the territory. And uh, but there are people out there who are willing to, you know, engage in Wikipedia yeah. battle for me. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, well, and I, I mean, I think um that Brie actually made the point that you just did, and that's part of what got her in trouble. Like, basically, she kind of, like, drilled down, well, do you have an answer to the points that he raised, any of them? And she listed a few of them, and, of course, there was none. And what kind of impressed me, like, even following, uh, you know, Joe Cerincioni's, uh, you know, he uh, responses to this, like, he had this whole little tweet thread where he was talking about how Josh, what's his name, the TPM guy, you know, uh, talked to him and told him, oh, it was all nonsense. Don't pay attention. Those big, bad uh, Putin puppets are, are just trying to poison your brain. And, you know, all of these people that he talked to, and they, like the way he was using these like a comfort blanket in this yeah. really strange sentence, instead of, instead of engaging with any, not, like even one of the substantive points was was just, it was really like just mind blowing. Like they absolutely do not see themselves or understand how other people who are uncommitted on this issue would see them. 
and that's why I call them. Yeah, and that's why I call them. That's why I call them Blue Anon. I don't see intellectually a big difference between them and QAnon. Uh, there is a self-reinforcing cult. It, you know, it makes them feel better about themselves. There are these, there are these liberal intellectuals who you know are supposed to understand the world better than everybody else. And things like Donald Trump come along and shatter their whole worldview because Donald Trump actually defeats their their preferred candidate, and even says things out loud that you're not supposed to say in Washington, like we should get along with Russia. And they can't handle it. And so they embrace deranged conspiracy theories about Trump being a Russian asset to explain everything, uh, which is what QAnon people do. And uh, cults work by acting as a bubble where you don't allow in dissenting opinions. And anybody who deviates from it must be some sort of compromised, nefarious traitor, whatever it is. And that's, that's how Russiagate worked. I mean, again, at least with Ukraine, there's a war going on, you know, and Russia did invade. So, okay, fair enough. To, I, I mean, I understand why someone takes the position of like that. You know that uh, anybody who anybody who challenges the narrative is you know somehow suspect. Okay, because at least Russia is killing people now. But RussiaGate was a dumb conspiracy theory. But yet, if you challenged it, if you didn't believe that Trump was a Russian asset and that Robert Mueller was going to do him in, you were a heretic and you were banned from public discourse. You know. Uh, you weren't allowed on cable news. You weren't allowed in the op-ed pages. And that's what a cult does. And we're seeing that now. Unfortunately, now it's even more dangerous because the cult is helping to fuel a really catastrophic proxy war. Yeah, well, I, I just wanted to say I, like, I am, I'm certainly impressed with the, the degree of prescience and the degree to which you've, you've kind of been born out, just hit the nail on the head. And, you know, now I think it is a larger, much larger number of people can see that that was correct. I don't want to take up too much of your time and, and step on these people behind me in line, but I appreciate you taking my call. Thank you. Thanks, Jonathan. All right. Jabril. Mate. Hi there. Hey. Hey. How you doing, bud? I'm all right. I'm all right. How are you? All right, it's good. Yeah, I'm I'm decent. I'm not too bad. Besides besides the um the un- beneath the surface uh rage, that's about it, you know. I um you. I I came on a little bit late, so I guess you were about a half hour in maybe. So, I hope I don't harp on someone else's point that they've already hit home, but um uh yeah, so the report, I haven't I haven't um I don't know. Um, I haven't really looked into it. I just saw the title of today's calling. So, um, yeah, is it time for diplomacy? Oh, my God. (laughs) Like, you know, um, I really wonder if one thing I want to say is that I really wonder if maybe this has more to do because I just don't trust them, the U.S., because, you know, they lie about everything. We know this much everything either they're lying or it's like covert um you know operations from obama you know to the cia to take out assad that we knew nothing about like jeffrey sachs stated but um but uh do you think there's a chance that it could it it could have something to do with you know it's just much too dangerous to to poke at Putin and Russia this way and they're not our real enemy who they're the 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 imperial 
uh, uh, crusade, or uh, if you will, or continuum uh, of the U.S. You know, be, the, the main focus being really China and how they've emerged since 2015, both economically and militarily. Um, you know, I just, I, I just wonder, or, or are they? Is it only because they're going to take on something else? You know. Oh, you mean why? Why they would want to engage in diplomacy with Russia? So right, because yeah, yeah. Is, well, certainly, certainly, there's a there is a uh, a faction of people in Washington who definitely. I mean, if you look at especially at at Republicans who are anti-war, people like Joe Kent, the, uh, yeah. who's running for Congress in Washington, the way he talks about it is that you know we need to engage in diplomacy with Russia in part because we need to actually separate Russia from China because what we're doing is pushing them together, and Henry Kissinger. Has warned about that too. So yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. I think uh, certainly, you know, from the point of view of you know people concerned with U.S. power, that's definitely uh, from from some people's point of view a reason for diplomacy. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, definitely. I mean, but you know, I, I can't help but have a sneaky suspicion that you know the storms brewing elsewhere. You know, oh, we need to save what we have in the tank for China who we really, you know, we can't allow a, a number two. It has to, you know, we have to have the empire. We have to be in every nation. We have to have a base in every nation. We have to keep our our, our feet on their necks. You know, that kind of mentality. I mean, the neocons, the people, who, you know, have been running things for whatever the last 30 some odd years. Um, but yeah, oh, by the way, uh, the Saudis turned around and showed their ass to us. Wasn't that something? Wow. You know, I was not expecting that when Saudi Arabia <laughs> sold out. But I mean, it's, we should have seen it coming, given the way Biden yes. talked about MBS. Pariah. Pariah. I mean, we should have seen it coming. But I was surprised. You know, I was surprised. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. I kind of yeah. had the feeling. I said, you know what? It. I don't. It kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, Mister Old Man. You know, you want to. Well, I don't mean to be age discriminative or anything, but you know, your your pariah policy. No one's joining in on that. No, nope, <laughs> you know, it's and, true. and we'll, yeah, and we'll see what happens when you don't uh, control your precious commodity. You know. Yeah, and and the way he explained it was so funny. It was at a grade school. It's like he said. <laughs> he said, "Oh no, I wasn't going to MBS to talk about oil." I was talking. About, I was talking about, about Iran. It was about Iran. I didn't care about yeah. oil. Come on, come on. Yeah, yeah. never the case. Awesome. Never the case. And uh, yeah, the thing. Uh, the other thing was um, the whole Russia Gate and how you know Trump did. You know, he was so. I mean, he was more than friendly to Putin. He was. He adored him, adoring him in public from afar. You know, right. and and that just. Uh, sickened most and i mean why wouldn't we want to have a relationship with them why wouldn't we at least on some level it, it just doesn't make sense but that's where the, the the military the military uh complex that's where they come in you know to create the yep. enemy but i mean like the u.s cozies up to regimes that are in my opinion, I mean, you know, we're lied to so much about Russia. We don't know what's going on over there, just like with the Ukraine war. But in my opinion, we cozy up to dictators and, you know, way worse than Putin. <laughs> like just literally massacre people of their own masses of people of their own own nation. 
you know, for whatever it be, ethnic reasons and different tribes. And I mean, just much worse. And, you know, the U.S. will gladly cozy up to them if it serves their interest of exploiting their people, you know. And yep, all true. Yeah, yeah. All true. And, yeah, Jibril, I, thank you for the call. Thank you for the call, Jibril. Yeah, Appreciate it. Yeah, no. Okay. Bye-bye. Have a good one. You too. Tim. Hello, hey, Tim. Uh, Hi there. Hey. Hi. Okay. Um, thanks for taking the call. Uh, quick thing. I want to pitch something to you. Uh, I'd really love it if you would stop referring to um, Zelensky as the peace candidate. And I want to give you a framework for understanding why I would suggest that. And that is, um, you know, if if you read the RAND studies, you know, you know, what was it, extending Russia? And, you know, you, you think about what the value of Ukraine is to the West, you know, principally America and its, and its uh, satellites like the UK. Um, you know, it is a th- potential thorn in the side of Russia. And the thing that makes that thorn so painful is, you know, half the country or the Galician part, you know, is responsible for killing 100,000 Poles and 200,000 Jews in the most horrific way you could possibly imagine, right? So we've reanimated that. And that's what 70 years of CIA involvement in Eastern Europe is about. So the idea that Zelensky is a peace candidate is absurd because the the whole problem with the idea of that is I don't care what he ran on. What did he do right after he got elected? Well, if you're asking me, I think he actually made some legitimate attempts to, to implement the Minsk Accords. He, um, he met with Putin. He tried to pull back the Azov Battalion and other forces from the, from the Donbass areas. Um, and I look, it all could have just been a cynical ploy. That's, it's very plausible, especially given that his main financial backer is the backer of the Azov Battalion. So, you know, Correct. fair enough. But um, I don't know what's in his head. And what, what I know is that he ran on a peace mandate and he was elected on that. That's what I care about. What I also know yeah, is that but, the U.S. But, hold on a second. Hold on a second. What I also know is that the U.S. never had his back and that they sat, they, <laughs> they, they sided, sided, sided with the far right at every turn. So I don't, I don't know what was in his mind or not. It all could have been a cynical ploy. It doesn't really matter. It's to always me. a cynical ploy. Okay. But the point is, it doesn't really matter to me what was in his head. It matters to me what was in the heads of Ukrainians who voted for him. And what I'm saying is they gave him a mandate for peace. And whether it was because he was sabotaged or whether it was because he was a cynic all along, it didn't happen. And that's why well, I call him the peace candidate. Well, I'm, mean, I'm, not making a moral, I'm not making a moral judgment about who he is. It doesn't, he doesn't that's really... not the point. That's not the point. The point is from a structural point of view, it's very obvious what's going to happen here. Right? The first thing you're going to do after you rip a country apart by putting all its people in a civil war is you're going to cover that up by running a peace candidate to apparently paper over that fact, right? That's exactly what's happened here. Yeah, okay, but he, he was running against Poroshenko who, um, who had signed Minsk and... Uh, and and look, did nothing to 
and, yeah, and actually exactly. boast, yes, boasted yes, yes. about him, his cynical fact that he never intended to actually do anything about it, right? Yeah, he's boasted about correct. it. I've seen, I've seen the clips. Yes, right. Yes, he has. And so Zelensky ran as an alternative to him. And again, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know what's in his head. I, I don't know. It That's not it, the it, point. It, it, That's not the point. It's a structural problem, right? It's American, his, you know, control of that country that is fucking it up, right? And is basically reviving a civil war from 70 years ago that killed hundreds of thousands of people, right? Yeah, that's I agree with that. that. Yeah, sure. That's sure. what we're back. Uh, that's, sure, yeah, that's the U.S. strategy. But the point is, people in Ukraine voted for Zelensky thinking he was going to make peace. That's my point. Yeah. That's well, it. Yeah. But it's a PR game, just like America. Okay, culture. maybe you're right. Garbage. Maybe you're right. There's certainly plenty of evidence for that point of view, but uh, there's also evidence pointing in the other direction, and we'll never know because we, we, we never know what would have happened if His the U.S. His first had... cabinet meeting, he talked about, we are in a wartime situation. Have you yes. seen that clip? Yes, I have seen that clip. I have. Right. But, so you know, it's bullshit. Well, so again, but, stop but, but again. saying that Zelensky no. is a peace candidate. It's bullshit. Okay. If you run on peace and you win on peace, whatever your intentions are, the point is, from an optic point of view and from the point of view of the public that voted for him, he was a, that's what I'm referring to. And when you're in, poli- when you're in office, you, you can say things you don't, you don't mean. You can say things, too, because you're under pressure in the context of Ukraine. It's very hard to be for peace uh, when you have the, the dominance of far-right groups like Amazon. <laughs> this so, guy uh, again, deserves zero sympathy, Aaron. Okay. What on earth do you want? I, I, I'm not uh, – well, listen, I'm not telling anyone to have sympathy for He's him. also a crook. Sure. There's no doubt about that now. Um, All right, Tim. Thanks for the call. Okay, Brady. What's up, Aaron? Um, I had an interesting situation happen this week. I was talking to Savvy Sabs, and she mentioned that she is not allowed to interview Russian citizens on YouTube. Uh, Video get taken down. She get demonetized, all that kind of stuff. And I had no idea. Fringy, uh, stupid. I feel, I feel like that was just the solution that I kind of came up with on my own to kind of mitigate the war situation is just to have more conversations with people from Russia. And uh, when I started looking into that, I come to find that we're not allowed to do that. <laughs> like, and I'm a little disgusted by it. So I'm, I suggest we boycott YouTube completely um, as much as possible to the extent that we're able to. You know, I understand it's kind of like become part of our lives in such a huge way you know but um the, the alternatives to youtube are amazing awesome bit shoot odyssey rumble we all know um i'd love to see you there more uh honestly colin is where i uh, get most of the content from you guys now <clears throat> a much cooler show being able to interact and ask questions and my question for you tonight is how much do you suspect you used the word cult earlier to describe these people and um, I wonder how much you suspect the cult of Yahweh might be responsible in this entire situation. The cult of what? The cult of the what? Cult, the cult of Yahweh. The Yahwedic cult. <laughs> the Yahweh. Cult. The God Yahweh. Yeah. Uh, when I say cult, I, I'm yes, just being... The God um, Yahweh. Facetious. Yeah. yeah. God of Abraham. I, right. Uh, when I say the cult, all-encompassing... I'm, I'm just, 
God of, it could be Allah, Yahweh, or there's a few different names. The Christian God, the God of Christianity. Okay. Because you used uh, cult to describe the behavior of these people, and the behavior of right. our fellow Americans yeah. is very cult-like. I mean, we're reaching like hands-made okay. yeah, tail levels just... in our hometowns now. Uh, <clears throat> and so I think it plays a huge role. Okay. I think it's central Sorry. in what's going on. Okay. Stan, it's a very... Hi, Aaron. Can you hear me? Yeah, sorry about that. There was a glitch there. I was trying to move on. Yeah, so, but just to I wrap up the last caller, um, when I was using cult, I was just being facetious. And uh, as for that claim about YouTube not being allowed to interview Russian citizens, I actually don't believe that. Hi, Aaron. Um, uh, I've uh, seen uh, Russians interviewed on YouTube before, so I'd be very, very surprised that that's actually a policy. But uh, anyway, if someone wants to look into that, um, I'd be curious to know what they find, so, but I, um, I really doubt that YouTube actually has actually that policy. Because if they did, I think point, we'd hear about point, it. All right, Roger. Diversion, but it's something that interests you. I was listening to a Fiona Hill interview with Lex Friedman the other day, and uh, she touched on... I am. It's, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Stuff, yeah. And it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, uh, given um, her advice. She's been an advisor to um, several presidents. But um, the interesting thing she said was that she kind of knew that it wasn't really that influential, but that it almost, um, uh, the Russians actually gained the paranoia that was generated by America, which I, I thought was an interesting take on it. Um, but aside from that, I'll get on to the main issue, which is the diplomacy one. Well, again, look, let me say on that. The problem I have with that argument is that it assumes that Russia actually did anything. That it's just taken on faith that Russia waged this interference campaign to help Trump. And to me, there's been no evidence for that whatsoever. There's intelligence officials saying it's true, but there's no actual evidence for it. And all the evidence we've seen undermines the case. The only thing that actually we know definitely portrays to Russia. The way they is that a Russian Gaddafi social media firm, a troll farm, put out some dumb he, ads on Facebook and Instagram uh, and Twitter that nobody saw? Uh, um, that is confirmed Russian activity. That, which he kind so, of also maybe played into yeah. a little bit with the, you know. But but anyway, that wasn't the main point. So it was on to the diplomacy one. And um, you picked up, and you and Max on the Grey Zone picked up on something that I'd thought I'd, I'd noticed as well, which was that. Uh, yeah, sure. With he did. And the interesting thing on in well, there were a couple of interesting things I thought that were key in that um, talk. Most of it was garbage, obviously. But he was talking about the back channels and getting some communication going with Russia. And interestingly enough, I can't unfortunately I can't remember it now that I'm talking. But there was another something else I was reading or saw, which had said that in the past there had been 100 working channels, let's say, with China which is down to about zero now. And so my kind of question to you, or, or to seek your, see your opinion on it, is what's happened? Because you remember in the past, when you go back to Thatcher, Gorbachev, and all this type, and even further back to Nixon, there were always lines of communication. And we seem to be, in 2022, in a situation where America seems to have no lines of communication going on in the background, 
to either Russia or China. And these situations would be, I, I think, less harmful if there was some direct communication. And I would just wonder if you have any insight into why that is. Yeah, great question. Um, I uh, unfortunately, China is now seen as a competitor because it's of its economic development, and so you have the U.S. openly trying to destabilize it. I mean, that's why uh, you have uh, you know Biden recently banning chips, computer chips for for China, and that's why you know China was accused of overseeing a genocide uh, in Xinjiang, even though. As you know, as the gray zones written about, the, the evidence for there being a genocide is just it's um, it's just not there. There's evidence of repression, obviously, uh, but there's repression everywhere. And but the reason Xinjiang was made into an issue was to basically, you know, deploy a human rights issue to weaken China. And so uh, that is, um, you know, in that climate, there's just not going to be diplomacy, and it's too bad. Uh, and just just to but. Um... So what I, what I'd read or or seen was that, that there had been not a hundred working channels, so that would have been via different departments, and that would have been the same with Russia or, and the Soviet Union. You would have had at some level diplomats talking to each other, so that you know when you know when Biden American politics is very much forked tongue, right? Because they'll say one thing in public and then. They'll have. The, they used to have the back channels to Russia going. Look, don't worry about that. That's just for the local voters. But that seems to have been lost with both China and Russia. And we we seem to have this situation where all they're getting is almost like the same information we're getting, which is what's coming through the mass media. Which is why Putin got so upset with Liz Truss starting the ball rolling on nuclear weapons. And, you know, it's all all things. And I can't understand why we've lost that. Well, again, you know, the U. Uh, under Trump, I think it was the U.S. put out a new national security strategy, saying that you know the age of fighting terrorism is over, and now it's all about great power competition, and the states that we're targeting are Russia and China. So, in that climate, it's not surprising to me that channels are going to decline. Thanks for that. I'll, I'll let you finish up. Thank you. Okay, last caller. Left is best. <clears throat> Hey, Aaron. How you doing, man? Hi there. Uh, what was I going to say? Um, I think there's so many topics everybody touched on. So I'll just go random with something else. Um, like, uh, wasn't Russia, like, I think, have you heard, was was laying blame on Brits for, like, orchestrating the, the pipeline and then the recent attack on their Navy fleet in Crimea. And... Um, I was wondering what you think might be the future outcome between the the relationship between uh, Britain and Germany, right? Because that seems such like like such a hostile act, right? To, to like literally take away Germany's economic, um, uh, not economic, well, economy as well, but energy um, sovereignty. Just 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 totally throwing it out the window. Right. Just like totally, you know what? You might want to be, you know, you might want to have cheap energy in the future, but you know, we're going to take that out of your hands. And so it was just like really such a bizarre incident, you know, that that's so easily everyone's overlooked now, but it's just, 
it just seems so bizarre. And I was just wondering, what's your opinion um, with what Russia says, you know, about Brit, um, British intelligence being behind it, and yeah. what you think the, the relationship looks like possibly for the future between those great, two countries? Great, great question. Um, the thing is, it seems to me as if Germany is on board with all this because it's been it's been taking it. It's you know, it um, basically let the Minsk Accords, which had helped negotiate, uh, get ignored to end the war in the Donbass. And then, you know, uh, Olaf Scholz stood next to Biden when Biden said that if Russia invades, we'll stop it. And then a reporter said, well, but wait, Germany controls it. So how will you stop it? And Biden just said, we will. And Scholz just stood there and accepted, you know, Biden openly violating to ignore his country's sovereignty. And so it seems to me that Germany has been, I don't know how, but they've been convinced to get on board with all this. So even blowing up their own pipeline, I personally doubt so Britain crazy. would do it. At this. So crazy. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, I don't know, you know, uh, but we'll see if a different kind of German government comes in, um, things might be different. But it's a good question. I mean, if indeed Britain's involved in blowing up Nord Stream, then what does that mean for their relations going forward? I haven't thought of that, but that's a great question. Oh, really quick, really quickly on the same note, um, because Russia was, there was the accusation that there was um, the communications between between trust was um, compromised. Is that is there any validity to that? Was was her phone really compromised, and that's how Russia figured out um, it was them? And yeah, on you top know, of that, I don't buy that. I, I saw it was like tweeted somewhere. I don't know who started this, but it was tweeted that like after Nord Stream was blown up, that Liz Truss texted Anthony Blinken and said it's done. And I just don't believe that. It's not how it works. I mean, like let's say that Liz Truss and Blinken were in on blowing up Nord Stream 2. They're not going to text each other about it. That's just not how it works. So, All right. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah. Have a good day, man. I, I would take that skeptically. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. appreciate all the uh, questions and everybody who listened in. And I'm not going to be around for Monday morning on Youth Ladies tomorrow because I'm traveling. So I won't be here at our usual time, but Katie Halper will. And I'll be back. I'll do another call in, um, I think, earlier on this week, talk about the midterms and maybe talk about some Russiagate stuff that uh, we touched on a bit today. So stay tuned for that and have a great 